Welcome to the Cine Meh Podcast, a place to discuss and deconstruct perfectly average movies. Not good movies, not bad movies, just fine movies. So fine, in fact, you probably forgot they even exist. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. I'm Joshua. And while we may not be nearly as forgettable as these films, we probably run a close second. That's right. Adequate films for adequate folk. Josh, what do you got for me today? And we're back to another episode. Yes, indeed, sir. Welcome back. Thanks. Welcome to yourself. You're in a new place. I am. I uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pan the camera around just yet um, because I'm in what is largely an empty room. And if you could see the way that I have the mic set up, it is uh, it is a feat of engineering currently. So <laughs> it is it is all I can do right now just to have a uh, an active mic that is in front of my face and hopefully at a an acceptable position. That is because we are dedicated to our craft. We we are dedicated to our craft. This is I mean. This is our second attempt at this episode, minus one absolutely disastrous day where I thought there was going to be an opportunity to record, but uh, AT&T, which I don't know if this is the right venue for me to air these grievances, but AT&T can just get fucked. Yes, and for more on that conversation, tune into our other podcast, Morning Radio, Morning Radio TBD. TBD, coming Indeed. at you each week, hot takes, <laughs> polarizing takes like AT&T eating a bag of dicks. Uh, the whole bag. Uh, let's talk about movies, though. Josh, um, what do you what do you got for me today? All right. Before we get into the film this week, I have some cinema news. Awesome. That is kind of a throwback to uh, a previous episode that we have done. Perfect. Was it uh, season one? I think it was season one. We took on. Oh, the, we we had a very beast. we had a very big episode. Season one. Huge. Huge. And everyone knows, and they tell me all the time, size matters. Size matters. Yes. Size matters. So yeah, we, we in season one, we did Godzilla 1998, the American Godzilla adventure, their, their what, first attempt. What an attempt. It, it was. Well, that movie is getting the 4K Blu-ray treatment, sir. <laughs> this is actually very timely. Because um, I know you're like you're into your upresing. You like it when when they they upres. First of all, I'm curious who is asking for this movie to be upresed. I am very curious. I wonder if they were just like, "Look, Godzilla is huge right now. Warner Brothers is going nuts with it. Uh, just just get us all the Godzilla content you got. And if um, you got Godzilla, just give me Godzilla. Just give me more Godzilla. Well, here's the thing: the the upres. It's not a remaster, mm. you know. So the big question I have is. What will Godzilla look like? What will the chase sequence with the helicopters look like in 4K? Probably pretty bad. I can only hope. Probably pretty bad. I hope it is so terrible in 4K. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be. But I kind of want to see it. <laughs> Maybe I'll hold out for an 8K. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, give it two years. Give me the 8K 3D version. <laughs> You're like... You know that scene where Godzilla's fins are coming through the water? I want to feel like that water is going to splash right on me. Like, that's yes. that's what we're looking for. Uh, but you know what's wild? That's not a, not even the extent of my Godzilla news. You have more Godzilla news. <laughs> I have more Godzilla news. Okay. Because uh, the world's going all in on Godzilla right now. Yeah, apparently. So there's another Godzilla Kong movie coming. Okay. All right. That's uh, supposed to come this next year, I think. Cautiously optimistic. Um, maybe we could do less people and more 
big monsters fighting, but fingers you crossed. You just want two and a half hours of just a fight? I, I have thoughts about this, and I okay. feel like one of the reasons that the uh, Transformers movies, the some of the recent Godzilla movies have gotten increasingly worse is because people go to those movies to see big robots or big monsters fight each other. I do not care about the human story. Whatever it is, I, I do not give a damn. I just don't care. I want to see the monsters. Show me the monsters. <laughs> well, then you'll be very excited for this this next movie because I, I guess we're just going to have more monsters. They, I, I Just all in on big monkey fights big lizard. But that's not even the extent of my Warner Brothers Godzilla news. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's an Apple Plus series coming. <laughs> what? Starring Kurt Russell and his kid. Okay, so hang on. Now now I can't be sarcastic because I legitimately love Kurt Russell, and I think Wyatt Russell is an excellent talent as well. Yeah, it's uh, looking like it's supposed to be... Uh, it's set in the universe. It's supposed to be about, like, Monarch okay. and the, the, the stuff they, they've been doing. So, like, I know there's a Godzilla appearance, but I don't know... I think it's just probably about the that monster universe in general. Okay. Um, but pretty pretty hyped about that. Yeah, I mean uh, Kurt Russell the 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 more I just watch movies, the more I'm pretty sure Kurt Russell is my favorite actor of all time. Um and I've only seen Wyatt Russell in a handful of things, but he's fucking terrifying. He's great at being like a uh kind of a, a sinister bad guy. Um I don't know if you're at all familiar with the the Goon movies, the the hockey movies, um, but he starred as the uh, the bad enforcer in Goon Two, and man, was he a powerhouse in that movie! I think we might want to put Goon on our list for next season. I think we should. Goon is a great movie. Okay, interesting. I wonder how many people have heard of it. Yeah, and that's I, I think it's I think it's forgotten about, but I do think it's a very strong film. So yeah, over here in America, we've we've kind of gone all in on the like American Godzilla universe. Uh, yeah. I think there's also like a, a Skull Island series that takes place in the '90s. I want to say okay. There's like there's a bunch of this stuff going on, uh, but that is not the extent of my Godzilla news. Oh my god, the Godzilla news goes on. He's everywhere. He is unstoppable. Uh, Toho, the, the original, original Japanese studio, yeah, is giving us a new Godzilla movie. Oh, let, they're, they're going to do the rubber suits because that's how Toho do it. I'm I'm thinking maybe I was looking at this trailer. It's called Godzilla minus one. <laughs> what I kind don't of a, I don't I, know what that means. I mean, Japan is the company that or the company, the country that gave us uh, Dracula X as a follow up to Castlevania four. So they do funny <laughs> things with numbers. Well, let us not forget Street Fighter 2010, the final fight. So, what a train wreck yes, of a game! This this movie, I checked out the trailer. You know, okay. it's all in Japanese, so I couldn't understand anything. I understand right. when they yelled Godzilla, um, <laughs> but it looks like it's a period piece. It looks like they're going back to like post World War II oh, era. Interesting. Like it looks like it's like a 40s or 50s set. Okay. Peace. Well, I mean, that was that was when the original Godzilla monster was created, largely as a reaction to the Atomic Age. Yeah. He was an encapsulation of fears at that time. Yeah. So, like, now in a modern lens, kind of going back and doing something like that, what, what does that look like? 
I, I'm very it, curious. That's fascinating just because we do seem to be in, an, and this is almost more of a, a morning radio topic, but we do seem to be more in an era of like atomic fears once again. And so there might be space for an atomic monster uh, just sort of, I mean, Oppenheimer did fucking fantastic. I, I feel like people are interested in it right now. I think Oppenheimer makes a cameo in this movie. I'm not sure. Does he? No. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> if Killian Murphy like, popped in as Oppenheimer for this film. He says his like iconic line, now I've become death and stuff, but he's like watching Godzilla. It's like <laughs> that line, but it's just footage of Godzilla terrorizing things. I think that's terrifying. I, I think that is the trailer right there, Josh. I think we did it. We yep. did it. You're welcome, Toho. Toho, take that, take I hope that. you're listening. Um, also, if you want to take a look at this Godzilla at some point, this is a Godzilla that did not skip leg day. Oh, really? This is a Godzilla that looks like he bikes the Autobahn. Him chonky. <laughs> He's got massive quads. <laughs> it's fantastic. I'm here for it. I, I love me some some Godzilla in all his forms. All Godzillas and, are beautiful. All Godzillas are beautiful. Yeah. You know who else is very beautiful? Who's that? Early 2000s Angelina Jolie. <laughs> Which brings us neatly along to... Our topic for yes, today. Yes, it was a very ham-fisted segue, but we it made was, it happen. No, I, I liked it. That was that was solid. That was a good one. <laughs> uh, today's movie, if you weren't paying attention last week, thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> we are doing Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Yes. Um, so I, 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 this actually does tie back to what you were talking about earlier. Uh, a personal, like, warm fuzzy for me in this movie is this movie is the very first movie I ever owned on DVD. It's the very first DVD I ever received. Okay. Um, yeah, and I still have that DVD. It's what I watched the film on. Um, it is not as robust as later DVDs would would come to be. And you're always talking about, like, you, you like the uprising. You like it when they, they go to the 4K, the Blu-ray style. And I, I'm always like, I don't, like, I don't really care. This is the first time I noticed it. Like, popping this DVD in and watching it, I was like, ah, wow, this could be clearer. Like, this could be a little sharper. And so um, this is a DVD that is, it's definitely showing its age. Um, it's a movie that I think shows its age. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get into it because this is a, this is a film that I have a lot of um, fond memories of. But when going back from a, with a critical lens, I, I'm, I'm not as thrilled with this film. Okay, so let's, let's be honest right at the beginning here. Are your warm, fuzzy feelings tied in any way to the fact that you were a teenager watching this film. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably been like 16 at the time when this this came out. Um, <clears throat> yes, insofar as it was an action movie, which okay. I, I, I have criticisms of action movies in general that come out of this film. Um, and so, like, it was a cool action movie. It was sleek. Obviously, it has a beautiful woman at the uh, as the, the main um, heroine of it. And so, you know, there's... There's that draw when you're 16 years old. Um, again, I think a lot of this falls apart uh, on critical analysis for this movie, which is why I was very surprised at my reaction watching it. But um, I actually remember this being a pretty good movie, I, I, especially for being a video game a- adaptation, um, which this movie is painfully video game. The, the more I looked at it, the more I was like, this. Oh, yeah. oh, they yes. wanted this to actually be a video game. This movie is painfully video game. Um, for a video game adaptation, I remember thinking, like, this is a really solid film um, because there there were, even at that era, a lot of bad video game adaptations. This one I thought was pretty strong. Um, and, 
yeah, not so much uh, 20 years later. <laughs> uh, pet peeve number one. Mm-hmm. I struggle so much saying Lara. Lara. <laughs> Lara Croft. I always say Laura Croft, but yes. no, it's Lara. It's Lara. And the thing is, if, if I say Lara, I have to say it the exact way I'm saying it right now. Like you're Michael King. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Lara Croft. Well, because she's British, right? Yes. She's British, played by Angelina Jolie, who is not. Yes. Uh, and, this was a very interesting casting decision. <laughs> yes, because let's get into it right away. Right away. Uh, 007 connection. Daniel uh-huh. Craig plays a supporting role in this movie as an American. As an American with a truly bad American accent. He does his best. It's, he, no, it's no Benoit Blanc. No, um, he does a bad American accent. Uh, so, yeah, you have an American in the lead role playing a British woman and a British man in the supporting role playing an American man. I was like, who who thought this was a good idea? Who came up with this? Livid. I'm livid over here. Really ridiculous. Stupid. So, so stupid. Uh, but, yeah, starring Angelina Jolie, Daniel Craig, Noah Taylor, uh, and Ian Glenn, who a lot of people these days would probably recognize from Game of Thrones. Yeah, um, another movie with kind of a stacked cast. Like, a lot of good character actors in here. Noah Taylor, um, he shows up in a lot of stuff, and you you don't necessarily, again, he's a name that you don't, you might not know him. Um, but yeah, like, but like the guy from Doom. Yes. You'd be like, oh, him. Him, exactly. Yeah. Yes, 100%. So, uh, the director was Simon West with an asterisk, and we'll come back to that later. Uh, <laughs> writers, um, lots of writers. That's all I'm going to say. A uh, lot of people. A lot of people wrote this movie, huh? <laughs> a lot of people were all over this movie. Um, and I think this has come up in the past. We've talked about it. And I think this is probably where this movie majorly struggles, was there was a huge amount of studio interference all over this movie. It, it is a messy film. The, yes. the, the more I watch it, the more I was like, this, this, this film is a mess. It's a messy film, and it's kind of a vapid film. It is. Um, th- my my main criticism of this movie, besides getting into just an action movie criticism in general, which we, we can touch on later, this is an and-then movie, not a because movie. So many things in this film are tied together tangentially. It's an event happens and then another event happens, and there isn't necessarily a direct link between those events. Um, and you don't have enough because or which causes or, and you know, you just get and then like the 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 worst example of it is right at the beginning with the the clock uh where you know you have Lara looking through the telescope at the planets and then she finds a clock you know it's like there's it, there's so much circumstantial with this film that it it very quickly the whole plot kind of evaporates the uh, the more you give any sort of thought to it so let's give a basic plot rundown mm-hmm. of Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Go for it. Uh, Out in 2001, this film follows Lara Croft (laughs) as she is, I guess she's an adventure archaeologist. um, Yeah. Without a lot of the care and dedication to it. Uh, Uh So she's she's a Tomb Raider. Right. Um, The the phrase gets thrown around a few times in the the movie, um, almost as like an insult. Yep. Um, because you have, you do have that idea 
about uh, archaeologists that are in it for the archaeology and then people that are in it for the fame. Something that Indiana Jones in Raiders handles a lot better, even though he's kind mm-hmm. of a shitty archaeologist too, but we don't need to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time. It was a Indy, different okay? It was a different time. It's a different time. Completely um, inconsequential in his own movie. But yeah, Laura, she has some like unfinished emotional business where it comes to her father. Like her right. father um, died on an expedition mm-hmm. and that was never solved. And I guess one of his passion projects involved this whole like legend with uh, the alignment of planets or whatever. And she knows that time frame's coming up and she's just kind of morose about it. Um, but yeah, then things just start to happen and she right. just falls into the adventure sort of because she happens to have this thing that decides to activate as the planets align and it gets weirdly cosmic mm-hmm. and like I guess so where the Indiana Jones here's I'll put this question to you where okay. the Indiana Jones movies largely touch on the supernatural right specifically dealing with like paranormal like Christian mm-hmm. stuff uh this movie, I can't pin down, is it supernatural or is it just like an ancient science? Yeah, it's it's like semi-occult, you know? And uh, yeah, like, it, it, it's so hard to say, truly, because you have the triangle itself, which supposedly has power over time, um, which we can get into what time travel rules this movie follows, because it follows... The worst of them. Um, so, so you have this ancient triangle that seems to mystically be able to control time. It's been broken into two halves, but it also has like this missing chip that is embedded inside this super sophisticated little clock. And it's never really established how it got hidden in that super sophisticated little clock. Like at, at what point in history? Um, because... That feels more ancient technological, but there's no way that it could have been built at the time that it was suggested the original triangle was created. So this is one of the things that the movie cannot decide what it's about. Ancient technology or mysticism. Right. So And then she just kind of gets thrown into this quest. Like this quest comes to her basically because the Illuminati are after yeah. this triangle that's going to give them world domination, even though technically they kind of already have it as long as they just stick to their little shadows that they've been doing. What a weird group to pick on in 2001. The Illuminati were pretty hot. <laughs> pretty hot that year. <laughs> pretty hot that year. We got to keep the Zoolander references going. I'm, we do, I'm yeah. here for it. But yeah, the, the Illuminati, they're an easy bad guy. Yeah. Uh, but even they were almost uh, sidelined by Ian Glenn's character. Yes. Um, and I, <laughs> Ian Glenn, who his character is supposed to be sort of like the expert on how to like perform this ceremony to reunite the two halves of the triangle and get mastery over time. He is missing a critical piece to this whole puzzle, which, oh my God, the more I think about this, the more I, like it just doesn't make sense. How did they make the stupid clock? Because the clock is integral to opening the first puzzle, but the clock is like a technology that is like, I don't know, hundreds of years beyond what they could have created at that time. Um, and 
The second, he had no idea where to find the stupid clock. Uh, so not only could he have not opened up the actual locations of the, the triangle halves, um, he also wouldn't have had the third piece in order to, to complete it. So like without knowing that, like it had to come up in order for him to finish his own mission. Yeah. Oh my God. See, well, the more you think about that it, is, this movie. It's something that's poorly explained in the yes. film. Uh, you know, and I'll, I'll reference last week's Daredevil. You said this was very poorly done in uh, the Daredevil theatrical cut with the Kingpin. It turns out Powell, Ian Glenn's character Powell, turns out he killed Lara's dad. Right. Like, um, wow, which he, he doesn't look that old, by the way, but maybe maybe he is. He would have been a young dude offing off you know, her dad because her dad disappeared when she was a child. Right. And so he would have had to have been very, which I mean, I guess like in a backstabby society like the Illuminati, which supposedly Laura's dad also belonged to the Illuminati. You know, who's to say? I guess it's possible. Um, it, it, see, this is what I'm saying. It, and it's like I'm reflecting even on like how we've reviewed this movie so far. And it seems scattered. <laughs> But this I think movie's that's scattered, a, right? Exactly. As I say it's a testament to this movie. It's it is just very scattered. And when you said that there were a lot of writers involved, I was like, well, that tracks because it seems like this is this movie is an amalgamation of ideas that a bunch of people thought would be really cool, and they all had to tie together their separate ideas. And it doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't fit. Oh, just um, you wait. Just and you this, wait. It's also, <laughs> I always challenge us, like, can you sum up the movie in two sentences? I think this is a ridiculously hard movie to sum up in two sentences because you almost need the lore of the triangle that controls time to even understand what's going on. And I feel like we have done a poor job of explaining that. <laughs> All right. And it's just hmm. Okay, let's, let's see if I can do this. All right. Okay, go for it. Lovecraft Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. Self-assured, sexy adventurer finishes her dead father's expedition when she battles the Illuminati for control over the Triangle of Time. Okay, that's not bad. We did it. That's pretty good. I, did I, I, I'll give you that. Yeah, no, I, I'll give you that. <laughs> our, our audience who's never seen this movie are like, what the hell is the Triangle of Time? It's like, exactly. There's like, there, there's exactly. so much... There's so much of this movie that is like it's it's <laughs> like, just right. scattered. Kids, you know what the Illuminati is? Not really. Okay, you no, know what no. a dollar bill is, right? <laughs> On the back, there's this triangle. Oh, is that the triangle of time? Well, no, but <laughs> and and the other like completely tangential, but like I'm deep into uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom right now, and all I can think of is the fucking Triforce. Every time they hold up the, the triangle, I'm like, it's a Triforce. Mm -hmm. well, it's it's just, it's the Triforce. And, and time travel's a big part of Zelda. Huge part of Zelda, yes. So, so anyway. Uh, okay. Let's, let's get back to a different video game out of <laughs> film. Uh, <laughs> so, the opening of this movie is Video Game Fan Service 101, right? Yes, and I unironically love the opening of this movie. I think it's a great opening. Visually, it is satisfying. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, it, it, it goes nowhere. It has no impact on the plot. Um, whereas, like, it, I think it is an homage to the opening of Indiana Jones, right? It, it's sure. a, an homage to the opening of Raiders, where we actually see him, like, in a tomb and evading traps. Um, except that 
that that carries story weight to it, right? It's an it's an opportunity to introduce us to the main villain of uh, Indy and uh, to set up the rivalries that he has. Nothing ever comes back to this opening sequence in Tomb Raider, even though it's a lot of fun. No, when it comes down to this is a simulated environment. This is her effing robot, right? That she's battling. It's just like. Oh, she's a badass adventurer with these two massive guns. Uh-huh. And I mean, she looks great and you're introduced to a character that is very competent and badass mm-hmm. at least at fighting a robot. Don't know if she's like a great tomb raider <laughs> per se. Um, but we'll assume she is. Right. Uh but she's wearing an outfit that is very iconic, if you're familiar with the video game series. It's the Tomb Raider outfit, yep. It's, it's the Tomb Raider look. Um, I have to wonder, did they manufacture a specific type of bra for her to wear <laughs> for her bust to look the way it does throughout the movie? It's ridiculous. I I mean, so, <laughs> okay, we, we've, um, we, we've already made a couple of Indiana Jones references. Sure. Um, the and this is this ties into the actual like video game, which is what we're technically supposed to be comparing it to. The original video game for PlayStation Tomb Raider was about a male protagonist originally, and I'm I'm coming back to your whole bra thing, so don't worry, we're we're gonna get there. Um, it, it was originally about a male protagonist, and they got like halfway through the development, and they looked at what they created, and they're like, "This is Indiana Jones. We're gonna get fucking sued to to high heaven," so they decided to palette swap the main character into a young woman instead of like an old grizzled man. And that's when they created Lara Croft. And there was at that time, the polygonal uh, (laughs) graphics of the original PlayStation didn't allow for a curvy figure so much as kind of a jagged and pointy one. And so a a running joke in the original uh, like fan circle for Tomb Raider was that Laura had these huge boobs that just like stuck out because they were trying to create a, I don't know, like a, a, a fantasy female body in with a graphic system that just couldn't compete with, <laughs> with what their idea was. Um, so I feel like it was quite intentional when they made this movie to accentuate her boobs. Because they're like, oh, it's just like the video game. We'll, we'll make, we'll, you know. So you're saying that much in the way that original Mario has a mustache was because of the pixel limitations. Right. Uh, go back to it and listen to our Super Mario episode, guys, if you want to hear more about that. Yep. Uh, you're saying that the developers for Tomb Raider made her obnoxiously busty just because it was meant to be like, hey, it's a female adventurer. Right, they had to. They okay. had to, in some way, make it clear that this was a woman, and, yeah. and they, they do that with uh, Kylie Jenner duck lips <laughs> and uh, <laughs> massive bosom. Yeah, which uh, anyway, just it's 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 the height of late '90s uh, male fantasy video game characters. You know, like this is this is what like male developers of video games of that era like thought women were supposed to look like or something. It's She's the most unrealistic looking uh, action hero of all time. Yes, but she's fantastic uh, to see cosplayed at like different conventions and stuff because, <laughs> well, because people will cosplay as the polygonal 
right. Lara Croft. Yep. Uh, like it's not attractive Boxy at all. It's, it's comical. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. I love it. Um, but Angelina Jolie does an amazing job with this role. She really does embody it as yeah. shallow as this movie is like every scene she oozes that sexy self-confidence. She Don't is give ex- a fuck about anybody. Yeah, she she's undeniably excellent in this role. Like she is fantastic. I you know, we're always talking about like so and so's audition for or we have been lately. This is her audition for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah, this was I would say this was uh the studio kind of felt like this was a risk to cast her because I yeah. guess she had quite the 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 tabloid life leading up to this yep um but she knocks it out of the park i mean this this is a role that almost feels designed for angelina jolie um she does a phenomenal job with it uh and it's it is a shame that they couldn't produce better movies out of this because this could have been a franchise for her like this is something i could still see her doing today they relied too much on the sexy stuff i think Mm -hmm. and didn't really develop the lore of the movie it is well enough seven minutes into the film that's not an actual number but like in, in the second scene after the opening is a shower scene with her and it's it's just meant to show off the body yep. of your main character and it's like c- come on like what <laughs> why are we doing this yeah well because it's lara croft because it's lara croft she's yeah. very hot uh the <laughs> But yeah, you, you see the you see in these other scenes uh, in um, well you know in her f- fashion sense, mm-hmm. the outfits she wears in this movie, right down to the, like the finale where they're going into uh, Siberia, and she's in like a cat suit with a big old jacket. But she's crushing that suit, dude. <laughs> she wears the it's hell the out of that outfit. Stupidest, most unrealistic bullshit. No, but like look at that hanger scene when she like shows up to join them on the expedition, like she is the standout. She, she is. And um, that ties into the personality that I think they're, they're really trying to get out there is ostensibly she's in a bind agreeing to work with these guys that she knows is going to backstab her. Right. But she has to know, she has to finish her father's project. She has to solve the mystery. In her embodiment in this role, I, I question because this is something that I, I always notice, um, and it's uh, it's something that that the the more I see it, the more I'm like, yeah, I, I, okay, um, Angelina Jolie has a predatorial walk in this movie, and and what I mean by that is you can see her pull her shoulders back, and she kind of holds her elbows out slightly, and just has this sort of like, it, it like almost like. Uh, like the predator. And you see this stance not just in her in this movie, but you see it often in um, uh, in women playing in uh, action roles. And it, what it looks to me like is attempting to carry like masculine energy into the role, which I don't think is necessary. I think that um, it, even though Angelina Jolie did a great job in this role, I actually think she could have relaxed those stances a little bit and she would have come off as even more like just cool, calm, in control, badass. Um, it's holding that tension constantly that it always ends up looking a little awkward to me because it looks like she's trying to make herself look bigger than she is, and I don't think it's necessary. I think that her personality is big enough. 
I think Lara in this movie, she's either stalking or strutting. That's yeah. Like, that's to your yeah. point. She and the thing is, like, she is always on. Yes. You get very tiny glimpses of any sort of vulnerability. Yeah. Um, so throughout the whole movie, she is just being a cocky bitch. Sure. And but the thing is, like, it's not <laughs> you. You get to see how it grates on everyone she interacts with, uh, which are all dudes. <laughs> all dudes. Um, is like they, they're just like, we can't handle like she takes the power in those sure. scenes. She takes the power. Um, you know, she has like one fuck up. And that would be when she goes to the auction and says hello to her friend, but in the process accidentally bids for accidentally that. bids two point four million. That is <laughs> so. Th- this movie this movie struggles with something I'm often critical of, which is I don't think it's as clever as it thinks it is. That is a legitimately clever moment, like when she does the little wave, and then you hear the two point four million ladies bid, and her face of just shock. <laughs> She's just like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. I, I love that moment. I was like, it's subtle. It's clever. That's hilarious. That was that was well done. Yeah. Um, but you get uh, you get you get very I feel like I get very few instances of like, who is the real Lara? Mm, yeah. Or is she really just this self-assured and confident? Because you so get it, very few scenes where she's by herself. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because it is suggested that she has a, um, I don't know if this is the right terminology, but like a softer side, uh, especially with her through her interactions with her father. Um, and and you do wonder like how much of like the way that she poses and the way that she holds herself and the way that she approaches things is um, just how she holds the world at bay. Uh, I, I, I actually think that this movie would have been um, would have been well served if we had removed a few action sequences and done a little bit more with vulnerable Laura and just developed the character a little bit more. I think it would have just been a fuller movie. It would have felt more uh, more uh, well-realized. Okay, so um, removing action sequences, I can think of one right off the top of my head Go that for we it. could remove or at least slim down significantly. Is it is it the mansion? It's the bungee ballet the bullshit. Ba- yep. <laughs> How fortuitous that they do an aerial drop crashing into her manor when she happens to be in the middle of her uh, weekly bungee Bungee routine. Yes. (laughs) In the main hall. This movie is so video game. And this sequence is literally somebody was like, wouldn't this look so, wouldn't this be so cool to play in a game? He's like, all right, think about the Lara Croft video game, but also think about the, 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 the office sequence in uh, Matrix, right? You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, 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 no. She's not going to be go full Neo, but uh, that bungee will do a lot of things for her. That, that, that bungee's going to, it's going to do a lot of, it's going to carry a heavy load. <laughs> okay, but we have to see her abdomen at all times. Don't worry, we got that covered. Another just, like, again, grossly sexualizing your, your main character. Like, was this strictly necessary? No. It was just, let's show off Angelina Jolie. But it's it's fantastic. Now, while she's paused up there on the chandelier and they all come breaking down and like the one op guy lands in mm-hmm. front of her and she like cocks her head at him. That's a good moment. That's a good like, <laughs> oh, shit moment. And it just hell unleashes. Yeah. Um, but it's way too long. It and is, it, those it, barristers crumble way too easily. 
every everything about that sequence just it just goes like you said it just goes too long it is it is just they hold that moment far far too long even when she's down in the garage and um again i i can picture like the video game writers almost being a part of this and being like okay you need a sequence where your hero is disarmed and they have to use their environment to to defeat their enemies um like, I, I'm like, I've played this moment. It's, you know, I know the part in Max Payne where you wake up in a room, beat half to death, and the only thing that's there is the baseball bat that was used to beat you up, and you now have to use this baseball bat to take down, you know, gun-toting. Right, that's exactly what happens in this stupid garage sequence, is Laura has no weapon, but she's in her garage, and she knows, like, where the keys are, and she's playing with their, uh, their night vision. Very clever and all that, but, like, I... Like she you couldn't said, do it without her man in the chair. it's very true it's very true um but yes it's here yeah this is this is one of the things that's never adequately explained is why does she have an absurd amount of money like what's the backstory there why has she used this money for outlandish levels of security and home defense why does she have a personal training robot named simon there's these are questions I would have liked to have had an understanding for, but the movie's just like uh, she has it because she's a rich badass. That's all you need to know. And if she has that much absurd wealth, was the two point four million dollar accidental bid really that big a deal to her? Well, I mean, it's probably not how she wants to spend her allowance. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm just I, I I'm like it. It seems like she was really upset about that, and uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Well, she she. She was there on her bike. She wasn't going to be able to take that thing home. <laughs> the big grandfather clock. <laughs> Another movie featuring a grandfather clock in, in a prominent scene. <laughs> well, uh, uh, clocks were a big part of this movie. Clocks were a huge part of this movie. It was about and, time, after all. And that is one of the things about this film that I was like, <laughs> it's, it's so on the nose, is that this is a movie about time travel, so what does the whole movie have to be obsessed with? Clocks. Like, at every turn, there's fucking clocks everywhere. It's like, I, you know, this this was obvious. They just needed a running gag where she was late everywhere. <laughs> that like, would have been excellent. Like, wind your watch, Lara. Like, ah, never on time, Lara. No, that would have been truly <laughs> hilarious. I would have been completely on board with that. <laughs> just, like, nothing but, but, but time jokes and references just constantly constantly <laughs> uh um something i noticed watching this movie and and talking about like the bungee cord battle is that i think somewhere in like the late 90s early 2000s directors forgot what made action movies good <laughs> and uh action movies used to be i think a little more sparse with their action than people necessarily remember because this film is almost nonstop action sequences. Like when you start to add it all up in your head, you're like action sequence, chase sequence, action sequence, chase sequence, action sequence, chase sequence. There's almost no room to breathe. Well, once it gets going, yes. The, you have the action sequence at the beginning introducing Lara and her training mm-hmm. sequence. And then there is a good lull until the manor. And I then mean- it pops off. Yeah, there's, there is, but the, the problem is, okay, I, I'll give you that. There's, there's a beat there, but this movie needed more beats. There, there needed to be more space for the tension to wind back up for those action sequences to have any kind of weight or body to them, um, because it, it is. I found, I found myself with this movie by the end getting bored because it just, 
it never it never slows down and it's not a good never slows down the ending is very anticlimactic it's very anticlimactic and it just sort of um but i i I was just i was reflecting on i was like i feel like action scenes were used more sparsely in original action movies they weren't constant action it was you had these moments of rising and falling tension and the gold standard that I always point back to for superhero movies and for action movies is the first Spider-Man movie where Spider-Man fights Goblin twice. That's it. It's not, they don't spend the whole movie like duking it out. They fight once and he loses and then they come back and fight again and he has to learn you like use the things that he's learned from that battle to uh, uh, surpass Goblin in the second one. But for an action comic book movie, there's not a ton of action. So when it is deployed, it's executed very, very well. And this is a movie, uh, Tomb Raider is one that I was like, I we, we needed less action in this movie. All right. Now, real quick, nerds are going to try to fight back and be like, no, there was three fights. And no, nerds, you're wrong. OK, because <laughs> when he swings into the burning building to save the little old lady, that's actually Goblin in disguise. That is barely a fight. That is not a fight. OK, yeah, that is does an ambush. Count. Yep. And like Spidey has to like get the hell out of there. If you want three encounters, I'll give you that. But I'm talking about sure. when they duke it out. It's twice. And I, I love that. I use it in my own writing. Um, I like the the idea of only two approaches at the villain because otherwise it just gets exhausting for the audience. Yeah. So in Tomb Raider, yeah. let's talk about the Tomb Raiding. <laughs> so... I mean, do we do we count the ending of the movie as a tomb? Because I count no. one tomb rated in this whole film. No, we're going to talk about the one tomb. Okay, so it's just one tomb. All right, good. <laughs> we're going to talk about the 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 temple or whatever it is, right? In the jungle, um, in which Cambodia, is, right? Yes, which is I feel like a major Indiana Jones callback in its yep. own right, because if you remember in Raiders, they only have half the map. So they dig in the wrong place. Indy's got the whole thing. He realizes where he actually needs to go. Likewise, Lara Croft is shown the like better way into the temple to get ahead of them. And she finds out the real clue to unlocking the puzzle. So I'm curious about this because um, this is another what I thought was extremely video game moment. Is She drives by the temple and then sees the butterflies fly in. And that's her cue, like, oh, that's that's an entrance. And that feels like a video game moment where you're supposed to be, like, trekking through the jungle and looking for some sort of sign. And then the navigator pops up. Right, to... exactly. And, and so yeah. she, like, sees the, the butterflies go in, and you're like, oh, that's your sign. That's how you know. No, so, the, the, whole, the whole tomb raiding sequence is a major Lara Croft uh, love letter. Yeah, this is probably the closest it feels to the video game. Yeah. And you have this weird, unexplainable, maybe supernatural thing that happens with these Mm -hmm. automatons coming to life and trying to stop you from achieving your goal. And the good guys and bad guys have to join together. I did appreciate that one of the main enemies in this uh, was Many Faces from He-Man. That was uh, was nice (laughs) to see. No, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff all over this movie that is, you know, kind of a love letter to various different parts yep. of the Tomb Raider franchise. It's just like y- y- you you want it to be executed a little bit better. You want the and, plot and to be a little more in depth. 
and that's the thing is this movie is so plot shallow um, that this is a sequence that is actually probably my favorite moment in the movie is the, the, the whole the like putting together the puzzle understanding like how it all works solving it only for the temple to come to life and to try and stop you from taking what like I I I love this moment um, but it just on on the critical watch through it does not have the same impact because the story up until this point is so shallow it is it's it is kind of a meaningless moment um like again for comparison to indiana jones since the the ips are so similar um i think about when indy falls into the 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 tomb and is sealed in uh, you know by the nazis and there's like all the the bodies down there with him and uh it's kind of like semi-suggested that they're like still partially alive like they're you know reaching out and it's it's just they don't come right out with yes these are zombies and it very much could just be all in the character's imagination because they're just trapped in these tight quarters and um, that's scary enough but that moment has weight to it because there is a, a clear leading up to it. Whereas this film, again, there's so much and then that it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know. The movie kind of ends with a whimper. It very much ends with a whimper. Uh, and it's really all thanks to the fact that her uh, competition, I guess her tomb raiding nemesis also happens to be an ex-boyfriend of hers, I guess, uh, just decides to switch sides. I can't tell if he switches sides for money or because, like, Lara is just so damn sexy. Yeah, I, I, it's a great question. Um, Daniel Craig also has one of the shittiest lines of dialogue in this whole movie where um, they go into the temple and the uh, says somebody says, like, into the belly of the beast, and he goes, and out of the demon's ass, and it's like, yeah, and out of the demon's ass. Right, yeah. What did what did that add? It's not clever. It's uh, anyway. I think it's meant to cuz I actually really did ponder this line a lot cuz I was like this is so fucking stupid. I hate this line. Well, it's because you have someone who's got so much gravitas and he's uttering a cliche. Yeah, know, into the belly of the beast. Alex is in it for the money. He doesn't give a shit about this. He's an American. Like how whatever like context you want to put on him, he, he like he's just gives it his own spin because to really illustrate that just he he does not care. Okay, and and so that's that's fair. Um, which then makes his turn at the end even more inconsistent with this character because in that same scene, in the uh, the reason that I bring up the out of the demon ass. Uh, dialogue line is because he he has a whole thing about how Laura's in it for the glory whereas I'm in it for the money again just fucking stupid dialogue so badly written um but rather than us you know seeing his motivation they just come right out and tell us the motivation which fine whatever but it's very it's transparent it's clear he is in this for the money so yeah why why did he switch what was she offering him at the end that that he was like ah I'll switch sides have you seen her? <laughs> no, but I mean, like, all their interactions in the movie, she needles him. And you can see, like, a, he, the character has, like, a little bit of shame when yeah. she's poking him. Uh, so I guess he just has enough and is like, fine, I'll I'll help you. This ish is crazy. Right. Uh, we don't get 
yeah, we don't get enough of it. Much like in a lot of places, we don't get enough plot in this movie. Can I tell you a spot where it's glaringly obvious? Go for it. When she's recovering after the temple thing and she's with like the monk or whoever. And this random ass monk is just like, oh, yes, I knew your father. I knew your father. What? And goes nowhere. There's no reason. Yep. And then the monk knows the father. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So now would be a good time to discuss a little bit of the uh, studio shenanigans that went into this movie. Uh, regale me. So you remember how Zack Snyder was making a Justice League movie and then he had to bow out and they had to bring someone else in to finish it? Yes. And uh, it came out the way it as did. a shitty movie. Yeah. Yep. So this kind of happened with this movie. Uh, this is a movie where I really want to see what the director's cut looked like. Oh. Because Simon West has a much longer cut of this movie. And the studio was like, absolutely not. And I guess he fought with the studio a lot. And there was a lot of tense relations with him that they removed him from the project and brought in Stuart Baird to come in and edit the film Hmm. to bring it down and edit the film. Uh, Stuart Baird also, he has his fingerprints all over Mission Impossible 2. Oh, God. And he directed Star Trek Nemesis. So I feel oh. like that tells you everything you need to know about Stuart Baird. Oh. So they oh. brought him in to okay. edit it down, trim it down to the runtime that we have. But then they also brought Simon West back in to do reshoots of some scenes, which I feel like is a huge middle finger. That is a dick move. That is it, dick move. It is. And it's one of those things where I'm like, I, I am not, I, I wish I knew more about the back and forth behind the scenes. Um, But this is an example, shining example of a movie that got like absolutely harassed by the studio and got mishandled every which way. So I, I I do now have questions about what the original cut looks like. I'm, I'm very curious if there, if there, since there apparently is a longer one, I gotta say though, Josh, because we keep drawing the parallels, Indy does a lot with its hour 46 runtime, and it doesn't have the same plot issues. So I'm very, very curious why this movie needed so much more time to develop its story in a robust way. Well, probably because you do have an obnoxious amount of, um, like, action sequences for no reason. Right, and that's that. That's that's where I'm like, it, how much of the screen time was... So do we think then... That this uh, nemesis character uh, basically did a reverse edit of what the film should have been. He left in action sequences when he probably should have cut those out and left the story in. But I think some of the action sequences themselves are nods to uh, stuff you can do in the video game. And and so this is an interesting question. And like a um, because this almost leads us to would we like if if it wasn't Tomb Raider? when you make a video game based movie, how much do you think you need to adhere directly to a, the video game versus take some liberties with actually developing the story? Because a, a video game like Tomb Raider is unbelievably linear. It's very, very, like it is a sequence of events. And um, with video games, as long as the gameplay itself is engaging, you don't really give a shit about how much and then uh, 
you're getting out of the story. It's just like, I, I just like the gameplay loop. That's the addicting part. The problem is when you try and bring that to the big screen, there is no interaction. So they may have captured well the gameplay loop in this movie in bringing it to the big screen, but um, that's it's not it's fundamentally not the same entertainment experience. So the movie needed to be inspired by the video game and still pay enough homage to it that it was it's clear that this they they you know paid attention to their uh, uh, their source material, unlike Max Payne from earlier this season. Um, but I think they. I think this is an odd example of adhering a little too closely to the to the video game. Sorry, I think the train wanted to say something. It did. Yes. <laughs> so deep in the the trivia on IMDb, okay, uh, they mentioned a book called Tales from Development Hell: The Greatest Movies Never Made, uh, and there's a whole chapter about Tomb Raider. So. The Simon West's version of the film yeah. was uh, two hours, ten minutes long. That's acceptable. That's not bad. Okay. Right. And then when they removed him, Stuart Baird came in and he cut it down to 88 minutes. This movie's sub-90? Well, I think the version we have is, I think it's like 101 minutes. Like, it's a little over an hour and a half. Okay. Yeah. Um, Holy crap! Yeah, they also replaced the 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 composer for the film with a whole different score. Um, it's like I'm like I'm gonna go find this book because yeah. uh, I love hearing the behind the scenes melodrama. Absolutely, like apparently was involved with Tomb Raider. <laughs> Super f- fascinating. Um, the the last thing I kind of want to get into with this movie is yeah. um, I was having some some conversation with uh, a friend and listener to this podcast. She had just listened to our Ghostbusters episode and she raises the idea where there might be a different versions of the hero's journey for men versus for women. Whereas in the hero's journey, you know, you have the call to adventure, the challenges, a transformation, a, a victory, you know, uh, where she argues that the women's journey, like they already have their power. They already have peak what they're going to be. It just needs to be um, realized it. And the rest of the world needs to see it. I I'm curious about this because I, I, this is, this is interesting to me because if you listen to a lot of critics of especially modern um, female superheroes, that's actually the problem, is that they already have everything they need and they need to realize it and the world needs to realize it. Rather than seeing the actual struggle of somebody put together their skills and abilities and seeing that vulnerability. So I'm, I, this, is, this, is an interesting, um, this is an interesting discussion because I, I'm very, very curious about this idea. Um, I would argue that there are excellent examples of uh, strong female characters from the past who do not have everything that they need right out of the gates, but we do see them build their skills and and see that struggle. What, what what's your take on that? Because this idea of they um, they already have everything. They're already basically because Ray Skywalker is a perfect example of somebody who already has everything. Right, the, the moment that we that we see her, her very first encounter with Kylo, 
she holds off a well-trained Sith Lord. Where's the struggle? Where's the rise? How do we how do we endear ourselves to somebody who isn't right? Yeah, and I be giving this a lot of thought, mm-hmm. and I think the same thing is. Uh, I think it's that because we are so trained, we are so uh, conditioned to kind of the standard hero's journey, right? That it's hard for us to look at a different type of conflict, whereas. Mm-hmm. So first of all, the the Ray versus Kylo fight in the first new Star Wars, um, the fact that she she doesn't win, she holds him off. I one, I one. I, I agree. yep, no, Two, I I agree. The I reason she does that <laughs> is less about her own uh, ability and training than it is his own fragmented connection to the Force. Uh, it's more about Kylo Ren's struggle. Like he's not on his game because he thought killing his dad was going to make him stronger. It hasn't. He's more like conflicted and struggling than ever. Dude barely holds it together in the movies. Like, which is why I think Kylo Ren is a very fascinating villain, but we are supposed to believe that somebody who was trained by Luke Skywalker and then continued to be trained as a, a, uh, a Sith Lord by Snoke, even though we're not really clear on what his powers are, mm-hmm. right, is not able to brush aside somebody who just discovered the Force. Because, granted, there's a power imbalance between Anakin and Luke, with Anakin being arguably the single most powerful uh, Jedi of all time. But Luke, with training, barely hangs on against... Darth Vader. And the mm-hmm. entire time Vader easily could have swept him aside. He just he wanted to test him. He wanted to see. I would argue Kylo should have had no compunction about finishing Rey off. And she holds him off. He can barely hang on against her. Which okay, cool. If that's if if you want to establish the character that way, great. But there's what is the journey at that point? What is her story that endears us? She's already at peak. What 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 do we want to see from her next? Right. So let's bring this argument into Tomb Raider, mm-hmm. because Lara Croft is so uh, she's developed. She mm-hmm. has nowhere really to to grow, uh, except I guess with the whole thing that like she needs to like avenge her father, I guess. But even that we don't realize she needs to avenge him until halfway through the movie. Right. So. Laura Croft, so th- this is, remember how I was talking last week about like origin stories? Or you either need to do a full origin story or you just need to drop in they're already at peak power? Yes. They drop you in peak power with Laura Croft, which I yes. appreciate. We don't fuck around with trying to like establish where she got her skills. So then we're not looking for a traditional hero's journey in that case because she's already at the peak of her power. We need something else compelling. And this is where I think an emotional story would have served the movie better. They try and establish it with the father, but because we lose so much of plot, that's where it's it, it it's it's just sort of messy. That's why I want to see in in this film because she is already at peak power. Yeah, she already kicks ass. Like there's there's not really a whole there's not really a level for her to go to that's going to make her even more superior than anybody else. So in that case, what we need is a balance of vulnerability, and that's what I would have liked to have seen more of because. It, Characters who are just completely at the top of their game are inherently uninteresting. 
because there's there's no dynamics to them because it's where do you, yeah where do you where do you go from there right exactly and I mean we could have seen Lara learn to be a less cocky shit um, but <laughs> it works for her also so no it like it it does and it, and yeah and, and I I don't mind her being a cocky shit I like that in this character but it needs to have a a a balance yes because. The finale happens, right? She beats the bad guy. He dies. We're all good. And then she is just cruising her way out of a cave-in. <laughs> no worries. Lol. Um, Such a Metroid escape sequence. <laughs> but, like, no no concerns. She nope. is not worried at all nope. that she's not going to make it. It's, she's so confident. So we're like, okay, I guess she's going to make it. I guess I don't need to watch this. Like, she's going to be fine. Right. And that's why I'm like, I'm like, be a little less cocky. Give us <laughs> some sense of vulnerability. Like, give us just like one oh shit moment in this movie. Right. And the only oh shit moment we have is in the fucking auction. <laughs> it is. It is. And that's, I, I, that is, that, it's, it's exactly that. Like, I, so let's, um, if we, let's counterbalance this against a, a male hero um, to, to, to kind of, uh, let's look at, um, Schwarzenegger in Predator. Okay. At the peak of his power, right? Like the Predator? No, well, Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right, like there's there's no denying. Like he's at the, the this is a this is a soldier who is at the absolute height of his his capability. Cannot necessarily get better. So, what we see is him put in a challenge against something that forces him to develop another skill set, which is what arguably makes him compelling. If it had come down to just a weapons duke it out against the Predator, I think Predator as a movie would have been fine, but not not memorable. It wouldn't have been compelling. It it wouldn't have been something that like people keep pointing back to as like, oh Predator. It's it's one of the you know the action classics. It's because we take somebody who is at their peak and take them out of their element and force them to learn and adapt in a different way, and. That's that that is what it, it's not. Uh, this is where I, I, you know, it's a really interesting take on the difference between the male uh, hero's journey and the female hero's journey. I'm concerned, though, that it's just a what makes a character interesting and what makes a character's journey interesting. Less about like the the, the gender or the sex behind that character. But what is it about that character that we, we see strive and, and develop and um you can take somebody like an imposing, all-encompassing figure with a ton of gravity like Schwarzenegger, and you can put him in a situation where he's vulnerable. He is vulnerable that entire movie. The Predator is superior to him. So he has to find different ways to, uh, to, to conquer him. Tomb Raider had an opportunity to do something with a fully developed and realized female action star who kicks ass right out of the gates, but challenge her in a different way still give us a reason to want to see this character develop further. Right. So, um, so would you argue that Sarah Connor yeah. in, in Terminator two? Yeah. She, would you argue that she is at the height? Yes. Okay. Completely developed and realized 100% a badass. Okay. And it's just her and her journey is, her journey, yeah, fine. her journey is more about finding her way back to her humanity. 
because right. she has become so obsessed with Judgment Day that she has. I think what's what's what I find so compelling about Sarah Connor is her remembering how to love her son as a son and not the, the savior, savior of of humanity. Christ. Exactly. And, and and remembering that she is a, a mother. And those are, again, you, I don't know, like, in, just in terms of like human strength, you want to talk about like one of the strongest things that uh, is, that's, that, that's strength. That's incredible. And I mean, that's the running theme of the entire damn movie though in, in Terminator 2 is remembering humanity and, and not being robotic. And there's a great dichotomy between Sarah Connor and the Terminator itself where they are both phenomenally tuned killing machines that find a way to learn humanity again. That's a very good point. It's yeah. a little more comically blatant with John <laughs> trying to teach the Terminator. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But that's uh, that's a very good point about, like, with Sarah herself. Yeah. Um, but going back to Lara Croft, L- Tomb Lara. Raider, uh, this, this movie has a lot of good video game nods. The yeah. iconic outfit, uh, the guns, which are just obnoxiously, like, action movie like set pieces they're just this is so over the top they are over the top fantastic but like that's perfect um you know the puzzles the platforming yep. is all there. all there the tomb the tomb rating is there um not enough shower sequences but that's fine um <laughs> you didn't you didn't like uh, daniel craig's shower sequence no he was fine i he think there was a- supposed to be one with the, with the both of them Oh, was there? I think, I think there was. Why? And Stuart Barrett said, nope, don't have time for that. Like, fuck you, dude. We always have time for shower scenes. <laughs> uh, no, because it probably didn't add anything to the plot. And this movie could have used some more plot. This movie just needed more plot. I, I think the fact that it was Tomb Raider is something that probably helped this movie. Okay. Rather than hindered it. Hindered uh, it, Movie had a budget of 115 million. Whoa! Uh, it's, its box office was 274. Okay, so for 2001, that was probably a financial success. It, it was, and they greenlit a sequel, which was terrible. Yes. yes. In fact, the Cradle of Life is largely blamed for the downfall of the Tomb Raider video game series in the late 2000s until it got rebooted with the more gritty realistic style <laughs> the gritty reboot <laughs> i really enjoy the the reboot Lara oh, yeah, series of, of, yeah. which to your point um it is an origin story you're you're telling her origins coming into mm-hmm. her power over the course of those games right um like she doesn't get the iconic pistols until like the very end climax of the first game is when she finally grabs the two guns and goes to town nice which is a largely quick time event. There's not really a lot of skill involved in that uh, part of the game, that's but that's fine. That's this, okay. <laughs> this game is about like the story journey more okay. than uh, gameplay, I think, uh, and it's fantastic. The reboot film that came out that was adapting that yeah. game, you know, it came out in 2018, I believe. With Alicia. That's Vikander. a movie. Yes, that movie's fine. Okay, but I still struggle with it a little bit. Because of 
what they did and did not do in relation to the game. Interesting. And I, I'm, I'm wondering how people who have watched both this 2001 film as well as the 2018 one, like which one is, is, is overall more enjoyable? What is a franchise that you would like appreciate uh, being more developed? Yeah. Um, hmm. I mean, I can, I'm trying to think about how I would even answer that individually. Um, I think that I, because I like to see character, and, and I guess this this whole hero's journey uh, conversation may come down to just critically what do you enjoy in a film, and I like to see character development. I like to see growth, and I like character-centered stories rather than story-centered stories. So I think personally, I would probably find, I haven't seen it, um, the, the 2018 Tomb Raider movie more compelling if it is the origin story and we see a hero get built up rather than 2001 uh tomb raider where we see a hero at their peak that is never truly challenged i think the 2001 tomb raiding is better okay uh but the uh, in terms of of character and and plot line yeah i think the 2018 one that's is, the one is better but okay. there's there's the there's somewhere they haven't quite got it yet. <laughs> they haven't dialed it in just yet. Like try. <laughs> Actually, on, on Tubi right now, there is something called the Tomb Invader. Oh my god! Uh, I think it also came out in 2018, 2019. Oh my um, god! Is it the I'm Roger sure Corman basically Tomb Raider? I, I, I think so. Uh, it's, uh, I'm sure it's. Uh, I'm sure it's a thrill ride. I'm sure it's to end. Yeah, the Tomb Invader. Oh my! This is Tomb Invader. Sounds comes very up with this shit? inappropriate. Yeah, I'm not interested. No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any final thoughts for for this episode? No, I um, I I need to. I kind of need to rinse all of my critical uh, view of this movie out because this is a film that I I actually enjoy watching if I don't have a critical lens on it. Um, the moment you apply any kind of critical pressure to this film, it collapses, uh, which is really unfortunate because. There are some great action sequences in the movie. Um, there, there's some great imagination. Angelina Jolie just kicks ass in this role. Uh, it's, it, it is, it is uh, probably the most hollow movie I think that we've covered so far. In that, what it looks like on the outside, it's it's a great Fabergé egg, um, but it just sort of shatters. Uh, and so I I love the way that this movie looks. It's a puddle. You know, yeah. I and, and I want I want a little bit more of an ocean. It's but it's it's a puddle. Yeah, Angel Angelina Jolie she carries this movie. She does, and what she does with it is is wonderful. It you know helped you know propel her star in Hollywood, um, which is not nothing. You know, and, and she's and, done some great stuff since. And I wish they had just done a better job because I to this I. I I really think that she would still be compelling in this role to this day. She'd, she could still be kicking ass in this uh, uh, as Lara, and um, they just, they, they fucked it up. <laughs> it happens to be like that sometimes. It does, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. All right, so next week. Yeah, what do we, let's, uh, let, let me pull up the list, unless you know where you want to go next week. I'm going to vote... A return to comics. Okay. I want to go ahead and do Venom. Ven- <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm so excited. 
<laughs> I was so excited. That is that is a movie that I will defend. Um, I don't know. I'm probably going to watch it critically and be like, I don't know why I like this movie so much, but I I, I adore Venom. <laughs> I'm excited. This, this plan is coming together. Be like, oh, all these movies you love? Yes, watch them critically watch them. in depth. <laughs> Turns out they're terrible. Turn uh, your joy into hatred. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. no! I'm sure okay. it'll be fine. No, I uh, I'm very excited. I I, I love Venom. Um, so I'll, I'll you, but I, I promise to come into the conversation with uh, actual you know critical uh, a critical eye on it. So okay, yeah, that's all we can ask for. You got it, Venom. Oh man, yes, Eddie Brock. Here we come. <laughs> As always, thanks for listening. Thank and, you, ladies uh, and gentlemen. Tune in next week. See you next week. <laughs>